from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. For this month's episode of The F Word on Fascism, Professor Gerald Horn and activist Brian Becker connect the dots from Texas to Nazi Germany. In the 1930s in Berlin, you had the budding fascists who were looking to the United States for tips on how to construct fascism. Because if you look at the history of the United States, you see all of the seeds of fascism, starting with extermination, a conscious, intentional policy. And it's crunch time for voting rights and for Biden's Build Back Better Act to support American families. And thousands of Ethiopians continue to march in D.C., demanding that the U.S. stop supporting the terrorist group, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. No more military No more sabotage. No more. No more oppression. No more. No more fake news. No more. No more of Africans kneeling to the superpowers. All that and much more coming up on the show. Welcome to On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, things fall apart is a fitting descriptor of the mood in Washington, D.C. There is the aftermath of December 10th's historic climate-induced tornado that flattened communities and killed at least 90 people in Kentucky and four other states. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, who opposed storm relief for Puerto Rico and for New York or New Jersey after Hurricane Sandy, does support aid for Kentucky. President Biden has pledged that the federal government will cover 100% of the costs of the recovery efforts in the state for the first 30 days, including debris removal, shelter, and emergency personnel. Closer to home, with new revelations about how Republicans in the White House and in Congress coordinated to attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election, there are stepped-up demands for passage of federal voter protections, and for passage of overwhelmingly popular economic benefits and funds to address the climate catastrophe. But addressing voting rights or climate or economic justice continues to be stalled by Senate Republicans and right-wing Democrats Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, even as President Biden just presided over a globally ridiculed so-called Summit for Democracy. Yes, things fall apart. The Reverend William Barber, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, looked weary but walked to the podium without assistance from his cane on Monday as he addressed a rally near Capitol Hill about continuing to fight on despite setbacks. My brothers and sisters, we gathered here today to declare our independence from corporate lobbyists, the money grabbers, and those who control the narrative about what is possible here on Capitol Hill. They are, as Jeffrey Sachs said, a bunch of rich people trying to protect rich people. And they're not all rich people. We have some wealthy people of conscience. But some of them are just about power and greed. And for too long we have heard promises during campaigns that sound like it's going to lift up the people. And then once people get elected, they disappear at the end and during the congressional session. 
because somebody somewhere that's got some deep pockets say it's not just it's not possible to get it done where well, we refuse to accept the crisis of possibility and to say we can't get what's done needed to be done for God's people up here in D.C. Liz and I talk about it all the time they want to separate us they want to want you to fight for voting rights over here and fight for living wages over there that's the Washington two-step it's a way of siloing issues so that they can divide the fight back. But we're here to say, we know what you're doing. We peeped your whole card. We know what game you're playing. And you ain't dividing us no more, no how, no way. We are sick and tired of people moralizing about loving God and loving the Bible. But in your policies, you pass policies that don't have a damn thing to do with God or the Bible. So we've come to say, get it done in 21. And be real clear, we don't mean if you don't get it done in 21, we're going to run away and put our tail between our legs. If you don't get it done in 21, we are coming double in 22 and 23 and 24 and 25. The Senate filibuster rule requiring 60 votes has thwarted the passage of these popular proposed laws and the fact that the filibuster rule was just suspended to raise the nation's debt ceiling gave hope to activists this week who point out that the rule could also be waived for voting rights. And of course, at the same time that the Build Back Better Act, which cost $2 trillion over 10 years, has been stalled, the Senate did pass on Wednesday $770 billion for a single year of the military budget, which over 10 years is more than four times the size of the budget for enhanced human needs in this country. The use of taxpayer funds for the military, which gobbles up more than 60% of the nation's discretionary budget, was cited by speakers addressing thousands of Ethiopians who marched on December 10th from the State Department to Capitol Hill to protest U.S. support of terrorists attacking the democratically elected government of Abiy Ahmed. Michael Byfield spoke to Menelik, one of the protesters. Where are you coming from right now? I'm, I live here, I live in uh, Virginia, and I'm here for this cause. The United States support is not with us, meaning with the Ethiopian government, democratically elected governments. They should support the country, not the terrorists. The media is reporting totally the opposite in support of the terrorists instead of standing with the country that's trying to democratize the whole nation. In Ethiopia and America has been friends since Roosevelt, and we're an ally. And I don't know why this deception all of a sudden came against the Ethiopian and 115 million people versus a few hand, handful terrorists. And the CNN, Al Jazeera, what's the other one? BBC. B BBC. They're all telling the wrong story. They're not telling the true existing story within the country. 
they should be able to tell the truth. More voices from the No More and Hands Off Ethiopia rally after headlines. Now, as for these kinds of abuses of tax dollars here at home, on Monday, rallies and press conferences were held outside two privately run prisons in Louisiana to sound the alarm about the abuse of asylum seekers and migrants housed in these facilities and to highlight the cases of hunger strikers who are protesting prison conditions as well as the failure of the United States and Louisiana in particular to process and fairly consider asylum claims. Earlier this week, I spoke to veteran human rights activist and former presidential candidate for the Party for Socialism and Liberation, Gloria Lariva, who was among the organizers of the press conferences. In Louisiana in particular, it is the state with the second largest number of refugees seeking asylum and of migrants, undocumented workers who've lived in the U.S. for a time and who've been arrested and facing deportation. The reason it is such a large number of people in Louisiana is that starting in 2012, Governor Edwards had ordered a reform of the prison system to reduce the number of people in prison. So from 2012 until almost 2020, the numbers went down from 40,000 state prisoners to 27,000. And to fill that gap were two vulture corporations, GEO, the largest corporate prison corporation in the world, and LaSalle Detention, which is based in Louisiana. Both of them have signed you know, very profitable contracts with ICE, with the U.S. immigration detention. And that's why upwards of 11 prisons in the state, which used to be state, are now ICE jails. To connect with this campaign supporting asylum seekers and undocumented workers in Louisiana, go to answercoalition.org, and there is a form you can fill out to connect with Answer. And finally, in culture and media, new investigations by reporters are uncovering major scandals. The New York Times reported that a secret American strike cell launched tens of thousands of bombs and missiles against the Islamic State in Syria, but sidestepped safeguards and repeatedly killed civilians. The unit was called Talon Anvil. It played an outsized role in 112,000 bombs and missiles launched against the Islamic State, in part because it embraced a loose interpretation of the military's rules of engagement. BuzzFeed reported on December 1st that the CIA has amassed credible evidence, including confessions that 10 employees and a contractor committed sex crimes against children and that only one was ever charged with a crime. Now, in the realm of the bizarre or questionable, Time magazine named union-busting billionaire Elon Musk as person of the year, and a video went viral of teachers in South Dakota scrambling around the floor of an arena, stuffing money into their shirts in order to gain funds to pay for classroom supplies as the crowd cheered or jeered. South Dakota ranks near or at the bottom for teacher pay, and studies indicate that most teachers in the U.S. pay for school supplies out of their own pockets. And finally, I want to remember writer and band leader Greg Tate, who died December 7th in New York. 
He was an inspiration to so many of us in the post-civil rights generation, trying to find our voices as writers. And I want to remember the feminist, prolific author and thinker, Bell Hook, who was my professor when I was a freshman undergraduate at the University of Southern California. She helped me to dive deeper into the world of literature by Black women and to be committed to my own voice. Historian Robin D.G. Kelly posted this on Facebook. Gloria Watkins slash Bell Hooks Presente. Here we go again. Another passing of an intellectual giant, a Black revolutionary, love warrior, and fugitive from an academy that doesn't love us. After nearly two years of relentless premature deaths, we lose four comrades in six or seven days, Julia Scott, Greg Tate, Tyler Stovall, and now Bell Hooks, all in their 60s. Too much. Bell refused to be disciplined by the Academy, living life on her terms, and writing for a much larger audience when it wasn't in vogue. She did not write all of those books to be popular, but to transgress to force us to think about gender and patriarchy, love and intimacy, representation and revolution. She posed hard questions and called out those we thought of as comrades or allies for failures of judgment, analysis, vision, even courage. And yet she leveled her critiques with love and honesty and a willingness to be vulnerable and expose her life and experience as a window onto what it means to turn personal pain into transformation. End quote. I joined Robin Kelly in saying Gloria Watkins Bell Hooks Presente and Greg Tate Presente. And also, I want to add Walter Lee Childs, maybe best known to jazz fans as founder of the jazz trio Childs and Pettiford, who died December 4th at the age of 88 in Atlanta. Walter Lee Childs Presente. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. Blue sky, happy days are here again. Smiling at me, the skies above are clear again. Nothing but blue sky. Let us sing a song of cheer again. Do I see happy days are here again? Bluebirds all together shouted now, singing a song. Let us tell the world about it now. Nothing but blue sky. There is no one who can doubt it now. From now, happy days are here again. Never saw the sun shining so bright. Salam, salam, salam. It's up your notch. And then the nacho. Salam, nacho. Salam, Mama Africa. Yes. President Biden, we are gathered here today and for the past year, we have assembled in peace, love, and unity on these premises in Washington, D.C. without being recognized, acknowledged, or heard. 
We are not an enemy of Westerners. Rather, the West has made it clear it has lost all respect for Ethiopia's sovereignty and identity as we are here again and again and again to inform the international world that Ethiopia is sovereign, civilized, and able to handle her own affairs. We say no more to this barbaric patrol of Ethiopia and Mama Africa. We say no more to this false narrative of the matter of Ethiopia and Mama Africa. We say no more to this false narrative of Western media such as CNN, B BBC, Reuters, Al Jazeera, Fox News, Associated Press. No more. No more. Stop pushing your false narrative about Ethiopia and Africa. We say no more, Biden.
Yeah. To all our African brothers and sisters, to all our African American brothers and sisters and friends alike from all over the world. It means a lot for all of you to be here, for us to be heard. Now, why are we saying no more? For months now, Ethiopians, Eritreans, fellow Africans in the diaspora and all over the continent of Africa have been screaming, no more. Is starving 
stopping its people, but it's the TPLF yes. that's yes. our people. It's the TPLF that's blocking. Yes. It's the TPLF that stole the trucks and yes. misaided them. Yes. And just recently, after so many evidences with UN sources revealing how much conspiracy there was inside, we were ignored again. And just a couple of weeks ago, a Zoom video shows how the Western diplomatic community sits down and conspires. of the hybrid warfare the U.S. is putting out. Yes. 
A hybrid warfare is basically a military and non-military intervention into other countries. It's pressure through economy, it's pressure through disinformation, it's pressure through other means, financial and everything. That's a hybrid warfare. We are awake and we are conscious. Say it with me. We are awake. We are awake. We are conscious. We are conscious. We are awake. Those were voices from the fourth of several mass rallies and marches held by the Ethiopian community in the Washington, D.C. area by organizers of the Hands Off Ethiopia and No More movements that are fighting against U.S. support for the terrorist group, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, also called the TPLF. And they're opposing the Biden administration's move to place sanctions on Ethiopia, which would seriously harm the country's economy. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Now, for our final episode of the F Word on Fascism for 2021, we present this conversation with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, on the Socialist Program podcast with Brian Becker. We pick up the conversation with Gerald talking about how the model of U.S. genocide of the indigenous populations and enslavement of Africans served as a model for fascist Germany. What's interesting about Texas is that it was much more explicit about what it was doing than the so-called founders of the North American Republic. What I mean is that the Texas settlers, led by Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, et al., they pursued a conscious policy of, quote, extermination, unquote, their word, not mine, of the indigenous population, which then cleared the land, in their estimation, allowing for a massive importation of more enslaved Africans, which helps to explain why Texas has the largest Black population in the United States of America, according to the 2020 census. And... It also sheds light on why in the 1930s in Berlin, you had the budding fascists who were looking to the United States for tips on how to construct fascism, which is one of the reasons as well why we have to be on our guard going forward in this country with regard to beating back fascism. Because if you look at the history of the United States as these residents of Berlin, these leaders in Berlin could well instruct. You see all of the seeds of fascism, starting with extermination, for example, a conscious intentional policy, particularly directed at the Comanches, but also directed at the Kickapoo, the Caddo, the Tonkawa, the Karankawa, etc., who hardly are to be found right now, although they existed in the thousands the tens of thousands, a mere 150 years ago. And then, of course, the slave labor camps, which were a hallmark of fascism in Europe, but were also a hallmark 
of North American capitalism. So history has a lot to tell us. It has a lot to instruct us. The only question is, will we heed history's lessons? Very, very important. I mean, when you think about Nazism, it wasn't just Germany. It wasn't just Italy. It wasn't just Spain under Franco. I mean, by the time World War II starts, almost all of continental Europe is fascist. And this comes on the heels of a global capitalist economic crisis that began right here in New York City on Wall Street. This global system that colonized and dominated other parts of the world using all kinds of techniques, either settler colonialism or other forms of colonialism that grew rich from colonialism, that grew rich from the enslavement of a huge part of the U.S. working class, kidnapped African people, got rich from the theft of the lands, the fertile lands of indigenous populations throughout the Americas. The same system was in a state of collapse, in a state of crisis. And its leading centers, including the British Empire, for which the sun never set up until that point, they were in crisis and fascism became sort of the go-to method of stabilizing the system. But in fact, it destabilized the system, led to World War II, which in turn, which in turn crystallized or catalyzed global revolutionary movements in all of what had been the colonized or semi-colonized parts of the world. So you had China and Vietnam and Korea and Indonesia. Asia was rising up, but so was the Middle East, so was Africa. Because we're talking about a materialist interpretation of history where there's a cause and effect, but the effect becomes a cause, that there's an internal contradictoriness of all things, but certainly of, of modern day capitalism as well, that there's this fight. And I certainly don't promote the idea of inevitability. I promote the idea that the fascists, the right wing, the racists could inevitably win unless the people fight back and find a way, in spite of all of the divisions amongst people, to find a way to form some front of unity. And there are some signs of that. But Gerald, World War II was a the interconnectedness of capitalist economic collapse and at the same time, the tendency or the inevitability towards war. Today, we have hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people marching all over the world about environmental crisis, rising sea levels, global warming. The prognostications show that if fossil fuels are used at the same level they've been used in the last 20 years, the temperatures around the globe will increase by four degrees Celsius by the year 2100. And there's these mass movements that are growing. And the slogan right now is uproot the system. Well, that's a big difference from when Earth Day started in the early 1970s or when we had the so-called crying Indian ads promoted by, again, by the ruling class where telling people don't litter. Now there's a recognition that it is the capitalist system. But when you talk about uprooting the system, of course, you have to replace it with something. Uprooting the system means to uproot capitalism. I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because I know, and I've talked to you in the past about how, say, the struggle for 
equality and freedom for black people in America became an international movement and it had a profound impact on what happened in the United States. We're sort of in that environment where everything has to be now approached on an international basis. But again, there will be differing trends between liberal, reformist, you know, sort of like tweak the system versus those who are growing in number who are saying uproot the system. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts on this topic because it seems it is at this moment an existential foundational question for all of humanity. Again, the brunt is being borne mainly right now by those in the colonized or formerly colonized or semi-colonized parts of the world, but that won't be for long. Well, it's interesting that you mention the Glasgow meeting on the future of the planet, because there are some very intriguing trends, as you've articulated, that are emerging with regard to this global movement that is marching under the banner of uprooting the status quo. And there is a growing recognition that the problem is the system. The problem is capitalism. The problem is this rapacious and bloody and endless search for profit. By way of contrast, what we have to keep our eye on is a contrasting trend that's emerging in the belly of this movement. What I'm referring to is, believe it or not, that there are those who are proposing a kind of green imperialism. What I mean is that, for example, there's talk about extending the so-called responsibility to protect principle to the forest, the rainforest of Gabon, with regard to wildlife. Recall that RTP, Responsibility to Protect, was used demagogically about a decade ago in Libya by the Obama administration with the propaganda line put forward that the then Gaddafi regime was about to execute a massacre and that the international community had a responsibility to intervene to prevent that massacre. Now, RTP has been discredited to a certain extent, but like uh, Dracula emerging from the grave, it's now emerging in the context of this new movement to save the environment. That is to say <laughs> that the North Atlantic countries have a responsibility to protect the lungs of the planet. Speaking of these rainforests of Gabon, or speaking of the wildlife in Africa, and therefore can intervene to do so. I mean, this is something we're going to keep a very close eye on. Likewise, I think that many of the capitalist forces are coming to recognize, although they can't admit it to themselves, that when they cut this deal with China in the early 1970s on an anti-Soviet basis, uh, that is to say that the uh, Chinese Communist Party would fundamentally enlist with U.S. imperialism, wages war and Vietnam after the United States is pushed out, et cetera, collaborates with U.S. imperialism, apartheid South Africa and Angola in the 1970s, but in return gets massive direct foreign investment. Entire manufacturing plants float across the Pacific, turning China into the factory floor of planet Earth, leading to virtual integration, not only of the economies of the United States and China, but also to an extent the North Atlantic countries in China as well. So now they want to get out of that deal. And so you have this new book by a so-called Pentagon intellectual, Elbridge Kobe, 
the strategy of denial, which basically fundamentally is proposing war, believe it or not, against the People's Republic of China. Re reviewed respectfully in the pages of the Washington Post just a few days ago, he's all over C-SPAN, speaking at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. I thought they were for peace. Why are they entertaining this warmonger? Other conservative think tanks like the Hudson Institute, it's a very serious proposal, made more serious by the fact that according to the new book by Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward and his colleague Robert Costa, peril that a mere nine months ago, and in order to declare a state of emergency, the 45th U.S. president was contemplating a strike, a military strike against China. This is utterly serious. We can't take our eye off this question because I don't think we can begin to talk about saving the planet without talking about saving the planet from a nuclear holocaust, which was, believe it or not, contemplated as recently as January 2021. And I think it's well for you to raise the question of fascism, not only because its hot breath is now breathing down our necks, but also for the lessons that can be learned. Because it's not only that the fascists were studying the lessons of dispossession in North America, studying anti-miscegenation laws in North America that they could then apply in Europe. It's also that Hitler and the fascists, their idea was that if the United States could commit genocide over the decades and over the centuries, moving westward, well, why couldn't Germany do the same, moving eastward? And as you correctly state, understandably, we focus on Berlin, but we also recognize that the term quizzling does not come immediately from Berlin. It comes from Norway, where you had collaborators with the fascists, traitors, who sold out the national patrimony and fortunately were put on trial subsequently. And likewise, today in France, you have a presidential election emerging where one of the serious candidates, Eric Zemmour, is rewriting the history of fascism in France, suggesting that there was no deportation or particular persecution of the Jewish population, even though he happens to be Jewish himself, and there is a lesson to be learned there. What I'm trying to suggest is to use a phrase that's oftentimes quoted in the U.S. press, but not necessarily in an edifying manner. The past is still with us. It's not even past. Indeed. And I think as we start to wrap up here, Dr. Horn, when we think about the multiple and cascading crises facing humanity, you have global warming, or let's call it global catastrophe. You have the very man-made catastrophe of a war between the United States and its allies in NATO with the People's Republic of China. I mean, it's hard to believe that this is being contemplated, but it's not simply being contemplated. There is almost a consensus position that the U.S. has to ready itself for major power conflict. I mean, this happened almost overnight without real debate, certainly not within Congress or within the media. We all learned that we have to hate and fear China just the way we had to hate and fear the Koreans or the Vietnamese or the Iraqis, you know, to prepare the population for this inevitable conflict. So there, too, 
a huge crisis. I mean, if the U.S. could not defeat the Taliban in Afghanistan, the idea that they could take on the People's Republic of China with 1.4 billion people and a vast economy and a strong military, I mean, the insanity of it is, it's hard to actually describe that. And yet it's been completely normalized. And at the same time, as you have pointed out, and I know I've talked with you about this in the past, in the face of these kind of crises, instead of dealing with the real solutions to the crises, meaning to uproot the system, to have a new system, to have a socialist system, a rational, humane system, where enterprises are under public control rather than a tiny clique of 1%, the capitalist get to make all the decisions about everything, all the things that are of consequence. At the same time, we see there is this rising trend of fascism in France, in Europe, and in the United States. And the reason I say this is when you think about all of the efforts to criminalize so-called critical race theory, which is just a criminalize telling the truth about the actual history of the United States, the criminalizing of dissent for people who are protesting against pipelines, including indigenous people. And then you think about what happened on January 6th, where tens of thousands of people aided by the most important and powerful people in the U.S. government tried to overturn the outcome of what they call a democratic election process, meaning the election process, and using force and violence. And now we have people including, sadly, some, I'd say, idiots on the left who are minimizing the actual danger of fascism. They'll say, well, some, a lot of those people were just along for the ride. And I think, like, yeah, that might have been true about lynch parties, too. There might have been some people who didn't bring the rope and the guns and the, and the fire. They just were along for the ride. But it doesn't and shouldn't minimize what the mob means in American politics sort of the form of fascism in the United States. Anyway, as a final question, when you, when you look at these multiple cascading crises, the need for radical, far-reaching change, a new system, and at the same time, the danger of a revived fascism, which is real, let's just talk about that in our last minute or two where we tell our listeners or suggest to our listeners, what's the real situation? Let's tell the truth about it. And what can we do? Go ahead. Well, fortunately, there are some positive signs on the domestic front. For example, Business Week had a very intriguing article aimed at the investor class where they were comparing the performance of UPS, which has a unionized labor force, with FedEx, which does not. With this labor crunch that this country is now facing, a UPS, which pays its workers more handsomely than non-union FedEx, interestingly enough, is doing better. And so the message to the investor class was that you should invest in UPS and sell FedEx. Now, I think that what we should infer from that story is that we should double down on labor organizing at Amazon and elsewhere and begin to, as we used to say some decades ago, withdraw enthusiasm from companies like FedEx. Likewise, I think in order to understand this current moment 
it's very useful to mention two concepts. One is the concept of nostalgia, which you see with regard to Brexit, where many of the demagogic leaders led by Prime Minister Boris Johnson are trying to invoke the alleged glories of the past of the British Empire. And that was the rationale for pulling Britain out of the European Union, anti-immigrant sentiment, for example. It's now leading to very sharp clashes with the European Union, which could spin out of control. Certainly these clashes in the channel between the fishing fleets of France and Britain is utterly dangerous. And likewise, it's utterly dangerous, this ongoing conflict between France and Britain. And you see this nostalgia in the same way in the United States of America, make America great again, uh, somehow is designed for a significant percentage of the electorate, particularly the Euro-American segment, to look backwards, not articulating with any specificity the bad old days, but trying to have them engage in a march backward to the past, for example, not telling the true and accurate and adequate history of the country, but instead reverting to the mythologies of the past. This is a clear and present danger as we speak. And another word is transition. The transition is taking many forms. It's not only the transition from fossil fuels to renewables, uh, which is, I would like to think, is in motion, and there will be a certain amount of bumpiness along the way. <clears throat> But also there's another transition as U.S. imperialism in its own words tries to decouple from the Chinese economy, which inevitably leads to what are euphemistically called supply chain snarls. They're actually political economy snarls. That is to say, you can't explain these ships lined up off the coast of Long Beach, Los Angeles, the major port, just by invoking the term supply chain snarl. What is happening is a political economy snarl, which as noted a moment or two ago, could eventuate in a catastrophe too ghoulish to contemplate. I should also mention in terms of possible positive aspects is that even though the US ruling class is united on China, which is very dangerous, I'm not sure if I see the same unity with regard to Moscow. And that creates openings globally and domestically. The problem there is that the U.S. administration sends Lloyd Austin to Ukraine to make noises about Ukraine joining the North Atlantic Treaty Organization to beef up U.S. forces in the Black Sea, an adventurous slap in the face of Moscow. At the same time, that uh, CIA Director Bill Burns and State Department Victoria Nuland are dispatched to Moscow to make positive noises. Now, of course, the big enchilada in this whole charade is China, and they're disunited on whether or not they should seek to undermine Moscow in order to get an advantage over China, or woo Moscow in order to get an advantage over China. And so typically, the Biden administration being split, they're pursuing both courses of action, which leads not only to a certain incoherence, but also, I think it opens up opportunities, for example, opportunities that the Iranians could exploit with regard to the nuclear talks that are taking place in Vienna in November 2021. So this current moment, as the saying goes, is imbued 
with both danger and opportunity. And I am confident that our side, the progressive forces, will be able to drive the engine of opportunity and steamroller the pestilence that is danger. And our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, will have the last word on today's show. He is the Moore's Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston and the author of more than three dozen books, including The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Brian Becker is a friend of the show and host of the Socialist Program podcast. He's also national director of the Answer Coalition, which stands for Act Now to Stop War and End Racism. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. While we work out technical problems, you can find all of our current and past shows on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And you can contact us and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show on Facebook, Twitter, or on that same site, patreon.com at on the ground show. You can also follow me, Esther Averam, on Instagram at E-S-T-H-E-R underscore I-V like Victor E-R-E-M. Our podcast is On the Ground with Esther Averam and you can subscribe on all your podcast platforms. The music we played this hour included Blue Skies by Charles and Pettiford, What Rough Beast by the Burnt Sugar Orchestra and that's Greg Tate's Burnt Sugar Orchestra and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Special thanks to Michael Byfield for covering the hands-off Ethiopia and no more rallies at the U.S. Capitol. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. Well, it's the end of the year my on the ground family. And if you've enjoyed the podcast all this year and you have $33 to spare, you can become a new member at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show is my Patreon page. And that annual option allows you to give all at once. You don't have to worry about your checking account or your car getting jacked up with some overages on a monthly basis just for $3. So with just that little, you could become a new member and really help me to build the show. It's an honor. It's a labor of love to do the show. And I would like to continue doing it and doing it as best I can. So if you can go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show and become a member during our year end drive. I would really appreciate it. You can also go to the website on the show.org to see all ways you can give, including PayPal, a check or however way you want to give. But Patreon is the number one way because I can send you a email automatically when the show posts and you'll get extra bonus content there as well. Okay. So please don't forget if you are giving or in that giving mode and you can spare anything to support on the ground, I certainly would appreciate it. Patreon.com P A T R E O N.com forward slash on the ground show. All right. Peace.